Could you repeat the same words that Paul says here as he's wrapping up this section of a letter to a church while I'm going to remind you a couple times sitting in prison? You ever heard anybody say the grass is greener on the other side? You ever been guilty of saying it yourself? Might be because it's built on a septic tank, bro. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or it could be turf. <laughs> Maybe you're guilty of saying it yourself. Right? You ever you ever thought like traffic's always faster in the other lane? If I could just get in that lane, I'd get there on time. If I was if I was just that other person, I'd be happier. Other people are always happier. Other other areas to live in, and that, that other state, that's a better place to be. Or I'd be happier if I was with the next person. You know, we, we play this what-if game all the time, and it's so tempting to believe that other people's circumstances are better than our own. And we're constantly like, we let that, we let that focus on us so much, where you live, the place you work, who you're married, the body type you have. And we just focus on all this stuff, and we've become great at being a country of people who is full of discontent. We aren't satisfied. We aren't happy. We're always chasing something else. We always want more. We even pray to the Lord sometimes. God, I don't understand why I can't have more. There was two teardrops floating down the, the river the other day while I was standing by the Edisto and I heard them talking to one another. I did. That's a true story. Right? One teardrop began to tell the other teardrop, said, man, I'm the, I'm the tear of a woman who lost her loved one to, a, to another man. And she's just miserable. She's sad. The other teardrop said, well, I'm the teardrop of the woman that's got the other man. <laughs> I was reading. I just want to share a couple little facts to set the stage for where I think Paul is in this section of the letter. In an article this week called Discontent in Prosperous America. Here's some of the stats and the things that were just highlighted in there that really stood out to me. And it said that Americans are more discontent now than ever before. Which really blows my mind because I sit back sometimes even like at the shop when fancy new vehicles come in and all and I'm like, man, we have gotten so high tech with some of the stuff we can do. And I'm like, man, we've got so much, but yet having so much hasn't really helped us become content with stuff. So it blows my mind that that's how the thing started. But it said we live in the best time in history, yet we've got the worst attitude in history. He goes on to say that the income, the average income of Americans has risen drastically in the last 40 years. So much so that here's some of the things that's brought with it. The average American home is a thousand square feet bigger than it used to be. Yet our families are smaller. The average American diet has 500 more calories per person than it was 40 years ago. And that probably shows if we look around enough. The average American turned a wheel multiple times to call someone. Whereas we just tell our phone who to call. Smartphones have given us access and uh, to virtually any medical information we want at the push of a button at the palm of our hand. Life expectancy has gone up over a decade in the last 40 years. Emissions have plummeted in the last 40 years. He goes on just to describe how good we got it, but how poorly we respond to the good that we've got. And then he asked this question. Does the average American realize that they live more materially comfortably than Caesar's czars of Russia did a hundred years ago. That's crazy, isn't it? The average of us lives better than a czar of Russia did a hundred years ago. I mean, it is crazy how far we've come. So then, of course, after reading it, my first question I write down, thinking on these verses again, then is what is our attitude? What is our attitude when it comes to life? What is our attitude when it comes to death? 
Our attitudes are probably so mixed up. That's why it takes somebody weeks to, to like be brave enough to say, I think it's a good thing. Why? Because most people, when they hear that brother say, it's a good thing that my friend died, they're like, that guy has lost his mind. He has gone back to the old life. He is doing things he shouldn't do, and we need to get him off the stage. I mean, that's, that's where we go because it sounds crazy. Right? But what is our attitude? What is our attitude when it comes to stuff? What is it attitude when, when it comes to our marriages and all this stuff? Or, or we sit there begging God, God, I, I just want more, God. I feel like I deserve more. I feel like I need more. I feel like I want a better car. I want a bigger home. I want a better husband. I want a better wife. I need more zeros at the end of my paycheck. And then you see the title, which seems so weird, but I was just bouncing off words and my wife loved it. Ambitious contentment. Because part of the day as I read it, and I didn't even get this till late last night, early this morning, to be honest with you guys, a lot of this is talking about how we handle our ambition. And as believers, our ambition, it can be a good thing, by the way. I don't mean that to sound like a negative word. God wants you to be ambitious. He doesn't want you settling in any, you know, in any of that kind of stuff. But how do you handle your ambition when it doesn't work out the way you thought it should have worked out? I'm going to get to it in a minute, but I'm going to be honest. I think as Paul's sitting in prison, I don't think his ambition has worked out the way he thought it should work out. I believe he probably thinks he ought to be sitting on a stage preaching to a thousand people and uh, 990 of them getting baptized every Sunday. Why? Because why would that not be the dream of any pastor, of any speaker, you know, proclaiming the gospel and changing people's lives? So I think his ambition probably ain't working out as he's sitting in a jail cell and the only person he's got to look forward to spreading the gospel to is the next person who's going to come in and make sure he stays in the house all day long and never leaves. His ambition has really failed. And it's with that background of not being satisfied as most of us aren't, him having great ambition and it not working out, that I just want us to look at three verses. Somebody told me last week, they said, Man, I, I don't know how like you'd be preaching sometime on two verses. So this week I upped it to really four because we got 10, 11, 12, and 13, right? And then I thought about it and I was like, you know, it only takes one verse to change your life. Amen. Right? It really only takes one word from the Lord to change your life. So, so, so we'll do due credit. I say that to just let you guys know we still ain't finished in Philippians today, but I do think we'll finish next week. I'm almost positive of it, right? So Philippians has been a good book. I won't, maybe not. You're right. <laughs> I'm being ambitious. <laughs> and if it don't work out, I'm going to be okay with it. Right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's right. <laughs> so in chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, here, here's where I want to set the stage. I want to remind us of, of something because Paul kind of goes into a, a little bit of this speech that would relate to other stuff. Right? So, so to help us understand it just a little bit more, you look at the life of Paul. He's planted this church in Philippi, you know, Macedonia, because he received this. This vision and, and God gave him this call and God gave him this. And, and then he spoke to a man of Macedonia. And, and anyway, he's gotten there. He started this church. He's, he's gotten things going over on the Mediterranean where it's supposed to be. He's went there. He's planted this church. Things got difficult. But this church has been very prosperous. He is very pleased with, with how well it's went. And if he's pleased, then we know the Lord must be pleased. It's growing. It's vibrant. It's, it's got a beautiful relationship with all the people. He's got a good relationship with the people. They supported him in the beginning. And that's kind of what he's talking about here as he, as he says this. He says, they financially supported me. They gave me things that I needed while I'm in Macedonia. But years have passed. Remember, this guy is probably, this is probably 20 years ago when he started this church, we guessed. It's probably been 10 years since he's physically been with them. And in those years, it's been a while since he's heard from them. There hadn't been any letters. There hadn't been any text messages coming. No phone calls. No care packages. 
And something happened. And really this happened at the beginning of this letter, but, but Paul's wrapping things up and he, he wants to make sure he's given the respect due to it to what happened. And what happened was this. Paul addressed like there had been a period of time where you guys didn't get to do anything, but, but and this goes back to chapter two, Epaphroditus, he traveled 800 miles to come see me, to come be with me. This is what he's talking about at the beginning of 10. And like he said, you got to go back to chapter two to see who's delivering this letter. But, but he's telling these guys, he goes, while I'm sitting in prison in Rome, he brought a gift, a financial gift, a care package. I don't know what the care package had in it. Maybe it had new clothes, new shoes, new socks, some deodorant, some food, some snacks, some beef jerky, uh, Reese's peanut butter cups, you know, the things that matter in life. Right. And as we look at these verses, he's kind of transitioning into, to what's taking place in his mind through this time. And at the same time saying, like, I want to know, I want you guys to know, like, I'm grateful that you guys are back on board, but I wasn't upset during our years of, of absence from one another. Right? I wasn't holding you accountable that you quit sending checks in the mail and, and that kind of stuff. So as we look at this, here's three words I'm going to give you. So three words going to sum up four chapters, four verses, not four chapters, goodness no. Connect, content, and confident. Because if we're going to be able to have Paul's kind of attitude through this stuff, if we're going to have ambitious contentment in a healthy way, we've got to learn how to connect with God's people. We've got to be content with what God's providing. And we've got to be confident in God's power. So let me start. Number one, from verse 10. Be connected to God's people. Look at verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Ten years passed. I've been beat up and I've been in jail. You, you really know the story. That first, yeah, I just told you, these guys were, were able to support them. They were doing things. Something happened. Now they, they can't. And Paul says it this way. They lacked opportunity. He's not saying these guys were jerks and decided to stop helping me out. He's being a realist here. He's saying something went on and opportunity just wasn't there. Now, we don't know what that is. The church could have went through a, 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 you know, a drought of money, a drought of resources, you know, whatever it was, doesn't matter. Cause Paul says that's not the important thing. He's just saying that there was a lack of opportunity and he's thankful now that we've reconnected because of this guy, Epaphroditus, that has came as an ambassador of the church to, to support, to help, to, to be with me. Your care for me has flourished again. And beforehand you had lacked opportunity to do so. Do you kind of hear in that word flourish, the excitement and the joy to send Paul? I mean, I know we're just reading it. They're just words that were written on a paper for him. But I, I picture Paul getting excited when he gets to this part. Like, you know, he's gone through some, some stuff throughout this letter. And he, he had to get on some ladies at the beginning of this chapter. And, and, but here there's, there's like a joy. He goes, you're kidding me. That word flourished. You know, it's flourished. It's, it's changed. So here's, here's kind of a, a sub thing for your point of being connected to God's people. If you connect to God's people, it'll produce joy and it'll produce encouragement in your life. You want to get happier? Get around happier people. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, we make it out to be like this. That you want to be grumpy? Then hang out with grumpy people. You want to know why people don't hang out with you? Maybe because you're grumpy. You know what I'm saying? Like, they don't want that in their life. They want some joy in their life. And Paul says, like, I figured this thing out. And the way to, to have more joy is to be connected to the right group of people. With the right source of joy, by the way. Don't be thinking you can go and just have any kind of joy, right? So, so the first thing he says is, I rejoiced greatly. Because your care for me has flourished. Like if we're, if we're being honest, guys, maybe I should ask you, as we talk about so much loss this week, right? 
And there's been even more lost than, than, than what was announced. So, so let me ask you this. What group do you consistently connect to? I'm not talking about what group of people do you sporadically observe and, and, and loosely connect with or that kind of thing. But I'm talking about like it's 2 o'clock in the morning and hell just knocked on your door. Who are you going to call? Do you have somebody to call? Right, You know what I'm saying? Like, I, like I'm telling you, it's, it, it's early in the morning. It, it's a time that the wrong person, if you call them, they're going to be upset with you. What group can you connect with? Can, can you send out a, a message? Man, I, I loved, not the pain that people have gone through this week, but I, I just love seeing how much connection there was in the church this week. Beth losing a mama, instant phone calls and stuff going around. Somebody else losing, losing a loved one just yesterday and, and instantly connections be, be, being made. A dog getting hit by a car and I see something come up on the, on the thing. Like we're, we have a need and we connect to the right people for it. Who do you connect to when a need comes up? Because if you're connecting to the wrong source, man, it's going to get you in a heap of trouble. Right? Paul's saying, I've learned to connect to the right source. And that right source for him is the church. And he says, this church is easy for me to connect to. Because I know if I call on them, they're going to pray for me. They're going to come and sit with me if I need them to. They're going to sit on the phone and talk to me. They're going to send me a message. They're going to, they're going to, it don't matter what time it is and what's going on. They're going to stay connected with me because that connection brings forth a joy. Not only does it bring forth a joy in Paul, it brings up a joy in the church. Right? And this, this being huge, guys, because the Bible frequently brings up, especially in the modern church, that it is full of believers but not full of belongers. Now, I hope you understand what I mean by that. We, we have now a, a society with technology, which can be a great thing. I don't take away from it. But we have a society that is able to believe the right thing, yet still not belong to the right people. Because we neglect little pieces of the scriptures. Right? You can believe the right thing and sit at home all day long and never connect to anybody. But does scripture not call you to more than that? Does scripture not tell you to get involved? Does scripture not tell you, man, you go to a fish fry on a Friday night whether you want to or not. If you don't like fish, we'll give you some beans or coleslaw or a slice of bread or something. I ain't sharing the carrot cake that I noticed in that kitchen, but <laughs> that, that's going to be my own little stat. Right? <laughs> like, 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 we'll get you something to eat, I promise. Even if I got to run out here and get you a pizza from the gas station, right? Connect with people, man. Hang out with them. Fellowship with them. Be with them. It, it's one of the most important things. Not the most important. I take that back. It's a strong top ten thing on why Wednesday nights are so important in Bible studies. It's why it's worth it to get up. Which, by the way, you guys whine about getting up an hour early. I don't know one of you to start work after 1030. Unless you're on shift work, and that's a whole different thing. Or if you're Mitch. You got to drink your coffee, read your scripture, wait till the sun's up and it's warm enough so that you don't get cold while you go build a fence in a deck. You know what I'm saying? Like, if that's the case, that's all right, too. But think about this. What are the excuses we you? I can't go to Bible study because it's too early. I, I can't do this because it's too late. I can't do this because it What's going to be better for your kids? For you to become a good parent that's in love with Jesus and the church? Or for you to be a grumpy old mm, at the house? I kept it clean. I gave it, mm, right? <laughs> think about it, right? We've become believers, but not belongers, guys. And I just, I just, I stress this because I think you're missing out on so much joy when you miss out on constant fellowship. Amen. When you're not, I mean, it's just something you miss. And, and I'm telling you this, like, cause we've developed this as a church too. This isn't just the people. Cause churches are brag real quick. Oh, we got 400 members. You got 40 people on a Sunday morning. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like we, we, we've developed that attitude with it. But the, that joy that it produces, it produces it in people. I don't know if you guys have ever went out and did something great for somebody else. It not only produces a joy in that person that you did something great for, it produces a joy in yourself. I remember the first time Crystal gave, yes, I said the first time, the first time Crystal convinced me to give away one of our vehicles. 
Right? And eating that, and that nice and nothing like that we giving away, but we was able to give something away. And I remember driving to this lady's house that had like four kids. She's getting our expedition. And in my head, I'm like, I could get 4500 bucks out of that expedition. <laughs> that here, Here's where my head was. I'm just going to be honest because it's my wife that gets me changed, right? So, so in my head, I'm like, 4500 bucks, I could buy this lift kit, this rim, this tire. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've already developed what I can do with it. This gun, like, I've got it spent. She says, we need to pray about this because I feel that she was right. So we did. But, man, I was more happy driving away watching that lady and three kids. Look at look at this ragged out expedition that we was getting rid of, to be honest with you guys, right? The coolest thing on it was it had some 33-inch BFGs, right? <laughs> that was all it had going for, right? But, but in that fact, I watched her look at this thing, and as we drove away, I was like, man, there is more joy in my heart right now than any lift kit or tire kit have brought me. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that, that's how it works, man. When you just When you can give the right thing to the right person at the right time, and it ain't got to be big things. Hand somebody who's hungry a ham sandwich. You know what I'm saying? Let somebody meet you outside of Walmart and they're begging for money and shock them with, hey, what do you need? I'm going to go get it for you. And then you'll find out if they're real or not, by the way, because I've had many people just go ahead and run away on that, on that speech. But I've had one say, man, I need a room at that hotel. So we've drove to that hotel and got them a room. And you drive away and you hope they sleep good that night. But other than that, you just, the happiness for, for a $60 room. 60 bucks. I waste that when I take the kids to the ice cream parlor sometime. You know what I'm saying? I got to have less kids. That's the problem. <laughs> anyway, it produces joy, man. Here's another thing it produces. For real, stay connected to the church because it produces encouragement to go on. We get to situations like Paul where we're sitting in jail. Maybe it's a self-jail and we're miserable. And the encouragement from being connected to the church gives us encouragement to go on. Yes. Paul didn't stop preaching. You know what I'm saying? Like Paul, Paul didn't say, oh, that's it. I got a chain on me. I guess my mouth got to stay shut. I think the guards had to draw straws on who was going to sit with Paul next because they were sick of hearing about Jesus. You ever met somebody like that? I'll never forget growing up, Ridgeville Baptist Church right down the road, and a fellow named Mr. Leland. He could not, he dropped out of school when he was 12, I think he told me. Joined the military, anyway, no education whatsoever. But read and studied his Bible all the time. And I tell you, now, you will never, you would have never, he's, he's dead and gone now. You would have never talked to that man without him telling you about Jesus in every sentence he said. I tell you, it's just amazing. Just amazing. And that gives you, for me, as a, you know, what, 12 year old boy watching this, this old dude who had gone through war and violence and all this stuff, for me, I'm like, that's encouragement. I can survive. I can, I can go on. I, I can press on through, through this stuff. It brings encouragement. It brought validation to his ministry. Look at what he's saying. He goes, well, well, it wasn't a failure. I thought it was a failure, but it's not a failure. Behind those words, look at what he said. At last, your care has flourished for me again. Though you surely did, you surely did care. He didn't even doubt their care, guys. He's saying, I know you cared. You just, you, let me go back to the word opportunity. I want to make sure you get it because he's, he's being so open and honest with him. He's saying, you lacked opportunity. Opportunity, the translation would be better for season or time. You know, we, we talked, Mitch just talked, had a praise report on the, on the seasons getting ready to change. The time is right for those trees to flourish. So the opposite, what Paul is saying is, guys, the, the timing just wasn't right for you. And I understand that. Are we okay understanding that timing's not right sometimes for some people? Or do we expect them to be on our time frame in our season? We understand the difference? For whatever reason, we don't know it again. He's saying it, it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the, the right season. And I love that Paul never tried to guilt people into giving. Preachers nowadays, they think they got to guilt everybody into everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to pass the offering plate 26 times 
until y'all fill it up enough and we've got enough money and we can do what God's called us to do. Well, brother, you ain't doing what God called you to do if you got to pass offering plate 26 times. I'm just being honest, right? Like, and then you got the, 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 the other side of it where I, I watched one the other day, blew my mind. This dude is preaching about giving money, right? So he turns his back to the audience. He says, I'm going to preach like this until we get enough money. I was like, did you think looking at you was like, like the prize for people or something? Like what, what, what did the turnaround thing do? I don't, I don't get it. Like I'm, I'm confused. We do the same thing with salvation. I don't mean to just get on money. You ever been to one of them services where we're going to do the invitation 16 more times until I know the last person who's got a call on their heart comes forward. Right? Is that not what we do? Huh? We, we do this stuff and I don't understand it. Because it's nowhere in scripture. Paul doesn't try to high pressure techniques. Paul doesn't sweet talk people into it. You know, he doesn't do any of that stuff to make you feel guilty and to, to make you feel like the Lord's plan is going to fail if you don't get. He said, your care has flourished. That word flourish means blossom, sprout. So now he's saying the time has changed. What used to be a barren tree has now become from wintertime to springtime. Good stuff is, is coming forth in this. It's, it's flourishing. It's blossom. It's sprouting. Paul's saying, I'm encouraged by your recent giving in the right season. And the fruit that you produce from this validates my ministry. It lets me know I'm called to do this. This is the will of God for me. I watch it with, with Caroline each week when a donation comes in. Right? Because in the beginning, she's like, I don't know. I don't know exactly if I'm supposed to be leading this thing or doing this thing or, or whatnot. I know I got a passion for Honduras. I got a, I got a passion to go. And then as money comes, it's, it's validation. It's not just excited that there's money in a bank account because it's going to get spent. It's validation that there's people out there that want to support this thing. It encourages to go on, to, pr- to press on. Number two, so not only get connected with God's people, be content with God's provision. Now we get to some of the meat and potatoes of this thing, right? Look at verse 11 and 12 as he he continues in the saying, he says, not that I speak in regard to, to what I've learned for whatever state I am to be content. Oh, that word content, right? Contentment, that's the subject of, of this whole section, by the way, including your little favorite verse at the end that we're going to get to, right? Contentment isn't related to necessity either, by the way. Not that I speak, what does he say? Not that I speak in regard to need or necessity, some of your translations may have. My needs may be met. But my needs may not be met. And if my needs are met, that's great. I want you to know this is wonderful. I'm going to be content. But if my needs are not met, regardless, I'm still going to be okay. And if you help meet my needs, well, great. We'll connect and we'll be team members and we'll be partners and you'll get fruit and I'll get fruit. But if you don't, then the Lord's going to take care of whatever the gaps are. I don't have to pass the offer plate 26 times because I know the Lord's going to fill up and get and spend it however it needs to be done. Right? I don't have to try to convince somebody into that. Talking about needs. Any husbands need a bigger TV for the game today? I'm just asking. I tried to convince my wife and she told me it wasn't a need. It was greed. Um, so. I did get a deal that if both our teams made it to the Super Bowl, we were going to get one. But that didn't happen either. So our needs have been confused with our greeds, right? Look at, look at this word for content right here. Really cool word come up this week a couple times in my life, so I think it's important for a lot of us, right? A-U-T-A-R, you know it's a Greek word, I can't say it. A-U-T-A-R-K-E with a line above it, S. <laughs> Write it down because it's good. Atarkarkis. <laughs> None of you speak Greek either, so that might be right. <laughs> That's what I should do. I should just start playing it off every week. 
Like I learned Greek. Can anybody speak Greek? None of you. See, I all no difference anyway, right? Here's what it means. Here's content. Satisfied or enough. So what Paul is saying, this is cool now. What Paul is saying is, I have enough. I am satisfied. I am enough. I am satisfied. Not because of who I am, but because of whose I am. Right? So he goes into this thing and he says, if you people get to help, great. I'm still satisfied. If if you don't, great. I'm still satisfied because God's going to provide. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. Even bigger TVs. There's nothing I need because the Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that? There's not, you can say there's, you might be able to say there's nothing I want, but can you say there's nothing I need? I mean, let's be honest. If we're sitting in this room, there really ain't nothing you need, right? We're very, very blessed. Go back to the beginning with that, that dude who wrote in the prosperous America. We are prosperous as can be. But even if we're not, Paul's saying, even if I'm not, even if I'm stuck in this jail when you guys aren't bringing food, remember he only gets stuff. We talked about that in the very beginning. I hope you understand how house arrest worked for them back then. He only gets stuff if people bring it. So once them cabinets run bare, he ain't going to the grocery store. The guards ain't going to the grocery store. It's all on him. It's all on his friends. Hebrews 13 says, let our conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Hmm. Not such things as you're going to get. Such things that you have. Meaning until you learn to be content with what you got right now, the next thing ain't going to make you content either. You ever figured that out in life? Oh, if I would just get the next thing, I would be content. No, you wouldn't. Huh? It's just an easy illustration since we're in the South and it connects to us, right? It's like lifting a truck. You ain't never satisfied. You're not. You want to go higher and higher. The guys who lower vehicles, they got it right in their head. Because you can only go so far before you hit the ground and that's it. Right? So if your husband ever has an idea which way to go, y'all try to convince him to lower it because it's got to stop at some level. Rachel, let the boy drop that F-150, okay? We don't mind doing that, by the way. Bill's in her dog. <laughs> but, but think about that, though. Seriously, we're never content with the next thing if we hadn't been content with what we already got. Same way with our marriages. You think getting married is going to make you content? If you're not content with yourself in the Lord, you're definitely not going to be content when somebody else brings their mess up into the house, too. And some of y'all is dumb enough to get married and think, you know what? We're not content. Let's just have a baby. If you ain't content with yourself in the Lord and your wife in the Lord, you're definitely not going to be content with a kid in the Lord. Am I right? All that does is bring stress and aggravation to it. You understand what I'm saying? You don't have to have that next thing to be content. And if you hadn't learned, as Paul says, to be content with what you already are at, you're going to miss out on so much. How could he have said it? Look at the rest of this verse. For he himself, I didn't mean to pause so long in the middle. For he himself has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we may boldly say to the Lord, he is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Some of you guys are so afraid of what the world's going to bring to you that you're missing out on what God's already got for you. Contentment doesn't come from what we have. It comes from whom we have. What did he say? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord's not going to leave me. The Lord is there for me. And there's something about this contentment in this section right here that is just awesome for what Paul is saying. Where, where is Paul at? Let me get back to this ambitious thing, right? Where's he at? Jail. House arrest. Miserable. What did he say at the very beginning of this thing? It's, it said for, for some people, I know he's talking to the church, he said for some of you guys, you're looking at where I'm at and you're thinking I failed. So that's on his mind. Failure is on his mind because of where he's at. Is failure on your mind because of where you're at? That, that's Paul right here. 
Here, here, this, 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 I'm going to say this one twice because it, it is good. This is what I got this morning at about 7 o'clock, right? It is how we respond when our ambitions are disappointed that reveals whether they were godly or selfish. It is how we respond when our ambitions are disappointed that reveals whether they were godly or selfish. You respond in a negative way, guess what that says about your ambitions? <laughs> they were yours and not the Lord's. Right? Paul is sitting in jail. He... He's disappointed, guys. I don't care what you want to word it as, right? He, he, he's disappointed, but, but this is cool. He hadn't grown bitter. He hadn't given up. His, his dreams haven't changed. Sometimes I, I think that, that, that when we get disappointed, we, 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 we totally go the opposite of what the Lord wanted. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, all right, fine, God, I'm just going to be normal if that'll make you happy. God ain't called you to settle. God, God ain't called you to forget all your dreams because it didn't work out the first time. Or we go into this, what we call self-protection mode. Or, oh, you know what I'm talking about? I just can't handle getting disappointed again, so I'm not going to take any chances. Or I don't want to disappoint anybody else, so I'm not going to take any chances. You settle. That's not it. We're not talking about getting rid of ambition. We're talking about having the right ambition. Ambitious contentment, right? Paul doesn't do that. He's disappointed in his ambition, or yeah, he's disappointed that his ambitions didn't work out, but he hadn't given up on his dreams. He's still preaching, right? He's disappointed without disillusionment. He's hungry for more, yet happy with less. That ought to be a good one for you, right? Hungry for more, yet happy with less. I don't know how that works with your belly, but it works with your mind, right? He wanted to preach what I said a minute ago. He wanted to preach to large audiences, he, he, but yet he's content now to sit in prison and preach to one. What were your big old dreams that ain't happening? And how are you handling them? Paul isn't sitting there angrily like fretting over the question of, God, it should have been this way. God, what's wrong with me? God, what's wrong with you? He's not taking it out on those around him either, by the way. I love that when you really think about who Epaphroditus is for him. He, he's a reminder of something he handled wrong in the past. Because In case you don't remember months ago, I guess now at this point. right? This guy couldn't make it. He wanted to go back home. He's like, Look, I'm dropping off this care package and... I really miss my family, man. I got to go. Right? Beforehand, what did Paul do? He, he disowned people for that. You can't hang with the ministry? Shame on you, weakling. Get out of here. This guy, he's like, you guys treat him with respect. You guys love on him. You guys bring him back the way I love him because of what it's done. Right? So he's not taking it out on those around him. How about us? You get disappointed in your class. You get disappointed at work. You get disappointed driving home. You get a disappointing phone call. Do you take it out on your people around you? You come home grumpy and bitter about it, right? You take it out on your family because you're trying to fill a gap in your heart that's been left by disappointment rather than a gap in your heart that's supposed to be filled by the Lord's ambitions. How you handle disappointment is a test of whether they were godly or selfish ambitions. How you handle, I ain't made enough money, I ain't married, I ain't got kids, I didn't get into the program, I'm mad at God, despair about you, whatever it is. Paul said, I can face disappointment because my ambitions were godly ambitions. I'm chasing after something the Lord told me to chase after. Godly ambitions because they're rooted in Christ. And if Paul's not a good enough example for you, Epaphroditus is a fine example of the same thing. He failed. He failed to be able to hang with Paul at the house. He's going back home because he, he couldn't make it, guys. Yet he's going back home toting a letter that says you guys love on him. He's great. He did what he was supposed. He might have not did what he thought he was going to do, but he did what he was supposed to do. You don't know how often it is that you've accomplished what you were supposed to accomplish, even though it wasn't what you thought you were supposed to accomplish, if you're obedient to the Lord. Because when you're obedient to the Lord, He'll fill in the gaps. 
That little thing you're willing to do, he'll make something big out of it. You know what I'm saying? Like you might not feel it at the moment. You might not even get ever get to see it. But the Lord will take care of it. Right? Amen. Look at some of the words Paul uses. These same verses. Abased. That's a fancy word for really low. Abound. That's, that's really high. So, so he's saying whether I'm fallen or whether I'm really high. Whether I'm hungry or whether I'm really, really low or whether I'm full. Right? Paul says sometimes it's like this. Sometimes it's up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. Anybody relate? That's right. Can you relate to what Paul's saying now? Sometimes life is just a bunch of ups and downs. It's a bunch of bunch of hills that you just you ride in this roller coaster. You ever you ever watch people ride a roller coaster and the ones that are you know good enough to use their hands on the roller coaster? Paul's saying I keep my hands up the whole time. He's like, I keep them up the whole time because I know I'm riding this roller coaster and it's where the Lord wants me to be. He says he says a flash. He says I've been on both sides. Think about Paul's past. Now this this is somebody who went from a lot to a little, right? When he says full, let me remind you of where Paul came from, right? And that word full, by the way, is a word they would use for fattening of animals, right? He said, I've lived a fat life is what he's saying. I've had plenty to eat. I, I grew up, I was well-educated. I went to private schools. I, I reached a status among the Pharisees. You know, I was there. I've been there. But I've also been abased. Can you think of a time when Paul's abased other than right now? How about what got him there? You guys remember what got him there? We never, I don't even know if we ever went into that. You read the book of Acts, it tells you he was, he was at the bottom of a grain ship in the slave galley and it had a shipwreck. Now, if that's not miserable enough, he's hanging on to a piece of wood. He floats finally to get to a piece of land. And once he gets to a piece of land, he gets arrested and put on house arrest. And you think you got some lows in your life? Huh? This, this is about as low as I think it can, it can get, right? He finally makes it to Rome and he's locked up. He's saying, guys, I've had status and I've lost it. I, I was reading some, got off on, on reading too much really. But, but, but just checking out like people who had a lot and, and were never satisfied. And I was reading a guy who spent, I think it was $3.15 million in less than three years and then lost everything. Like had less than he had at the beginning because of the way he spent. And he says this at the end of the thing. This is what blew my mind. He says, I wish I had shredded that ticket up. So that got me into a static. And I don't care if you buy the lottery ticket or whatever you guys want to do. I'm not preaching on that today, right? But, but we spend more as a society on lottery tickets than we do on all tickets for every sporting event combined. That blew my mind, guys. Because at the same time, I was looking at like Super Bowl tickets that are like $1,000 plus a piece. And that's the cheaper edition, by the way, this year. Right? But yet, then that's seventy million pe- or seventy thousand people going into to this stadium. So an average of a hundred million dollars for tickets, because thousand dollars is the, the little baby seat, right? So you, you got a million dollars of tickets. Yet we spend, and that's just one game. Yet we spend. Why? I'll tell you why. Because whether you buy them or not, here's the here's the mindset behind it. If I could just win a little more, I'd be a little happier. If I could just get a little more, I'd be a little happier. More is not going to always make you happy. Paul says, I've had a lot and I've had a little. He reminds me of the words of Jesus in in Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. Right? He says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Your possessions aren't the goal. And here's 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 the big point. (laughs) <laughs> that I got. Here's a very, very actually the very first point I got this week. Contentment is learned. I've read that verse a million times and never really even thought about that. You know, I've seen people who are content, and I'm like, man, I wish I could get that spiritual gift. 
It ain't a gift. They had to learn it. Paul had to learn it. It's a work. You know what I'm saying? What does he say? Look, look at it. For I have learned to be content. In whatever state I am to be content. Verse 12. I know. That's a knowledgeable word. I know. Talking about the knowledge. I have the knowledge on how to be belittled and how to be abound. He's saying I've educated myself enough in real life situations to figure this out. It's not a gift. It's something he had to do. So if you want to get this attitude, it's something you got to do. And that should encourage us because I don't know about you guys. I'm still learning. Like I'm at the elementary school version of, of I'm way away from graduation, right? We're still, we're still learning in this stuff. There was a monastery in, in Spain to join this thing. You had to go three years and each of the years you could only speak two words. So at the end of the first year, this guy who was going to join, he, he thinks real hard. Like, what, what am I going to say in two words to sum up my year? And he, he looks at the, you know, the, the leader, the, the lead monk, and he, he says, food bad. Guy goes, all right, so now you got another year. So it goes a whole another whole another year. End of the year, they, they have their, their moment where they're allowed to be together. Two words, bed lumpy. All right, that's what some of the two words up into. Next year goes by, I quit. Lead monk says, well, no wonder. All you've done is complain for the last three years. You notice how easy it is to complain, though? Right? How easy it is to complain. It becomes like second nature to us, guys. We complain about the weather. You know, we talk about that weather sometimes. You know, we complain that it's too cold. We're going to complain that it's too hot when it's hot. We're going to complain that the AC blows too cold. We're going to complain that the heater blows too hot. We just, we're full of complaints. Sit around work and listen to conversations. People talking trash about, you know, other people. People down in their company. Students complain about teachers. Teachers complain about students. Athletes complain about coaches. Shoppers complain about the parking lot. Everybody complains about traffic. And if you're in Dorchester County, you complain about potholes. Right? We're complainers. Contentment isn't related to necessity. It doesn't depend on quantity. It's a learned ability. Thinking, man, how, how can I learn this? Here, here, here's just, I think there's four of them. Here's four ways to learn contentment. So again, you get, a, you get another mini sermon, right? Avoid comparison. Avoid comparison. It'll get you every time, man. Once you start looking at what others have and you start comparing it, it's a downhill battle because comparison robs you of contentment. It does. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but according to the measure of the area of ministry that God has assigned to us, which reaches even to you. Paul's not worried about what's going on in other people's ministries. He's worried about going on, what's going on in his own. He's not comparing himself to others and, and other churches. Also, he's, he's comparing himself to, to what God has called him to do. So avoid comparison. Second thing, lower your expectations, man. Some of y'all just expect too much. When you start expecting too much, you feel entitled, right? When you live an entitled life expecting more, you never stop to appreciate what you got. You ever just stopped one day? And I know some of us go through some real bad situations. All right, I'm, I'm not neglecting that. But you ever thought, like, how different would it be if I looked at this situation and just highlighted the good stuff of it instead of the bad? How different it could change my mindset if I was just to highlight the good things that were in this situation? Might not be many of them. That's good. That's less for you to focus and memorize. Right? But it might be a lot of them. But we're so we're so quick to look at the bad of every single situation. Well, you know, she didn't do this right when I asked her to. She cleaned that counter good, but the other counter was horrible, right? She wore the pants I like, but not the shirt I like. You know, we're, we're just, we complain, complain, complain. Why? How about lower your expectations and find the good stuff? First Timothy chapter six, 
Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, <laughs> with these we'll be content. So what is scripture saying you need to be content? It's a short list, two things, right? What is it? <laughs> food and clothing. Clothing might be optional for some of you, I don't know. Right? As long as you got something to eat, you're good. Third tip, adjust to change. The people in life I've seen that are the happiest are able to learn to take the bumps, the highs and the lows and adjust to them. Now, sometimes I don't know how they do it, but when they're able to adjust to it and make the adjustments, they're able to live those ups and downs fully content. Learn to adjust, avoid comparisons, lower expectations. The last one, which maybe should have been first, I guess, develop convictions. What truths do you cling to? What truths do you, you compare yourselves to and everything else? Maybe, maybe ask it this way. What truth do you stand, what truth do you stand on when you're faced with emptiness? Or when you're faced with a lot? Because some of us, our struggle is not emptiness, our struggle is success. You can't handle success or you can't handle failure. Which one is it? What truths do you hold on to that would keep you from complaining? Contentment is related to what, I really believe this part now. Contentment is related completely to what you believe about God's sovereignty. It really is. Because I think if you fully believe in the sovereignty of God, if you believe that God is in control, then the situations in life, they don't have to get you down all the time. Amen. Joe, probably the person who went through my greatest loss as far as if I was to pick my nightmare. Lost his children, lost his wife, lost, you know, lost everything. Here's what he said in the book of Job. Naked I came into this world and naked I will leave it. The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. How about that for a statement of God's sovereignty? Right? God's in charge. You enter life empty-handed. You're going to leave empty-handed. <laughs> Number three. Number three of our original sermon. <laughs> be connected to God's people. Be content with God's provision. Be confident in God's power. We need to develop an attitude where we are confident in God's power. His abilities. Verse 13. How many of you know this verse by heart, by the way? Huh? How many of you see your athletes wearing it? Alright? You've quoted it a hundred times. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you two truths on this thing, right? Here I'm gonna start I'm gonna start nice for you. Alright, I'm gonna serenade you a little bit. Not by singing. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is Paul's philosophy of life. I believe that. I'm gonna tell you a little bit more why. <laughs> it's probably not the same reason you think it, but he's not in he's not in the Ritz Carlton guys of Rome. He's in jail. He's been beaten up. He's been talked about by believers and unbelievers. So his own people have talked trash about him. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He doesn't know if he's going to have court tomorrow, be executed tomorrow, be set free tomorrow. These are the things we know about the court system, right? And yet he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So here's your good principle that's right. But you got to put it in the right attitude, which we'll get to in a minute, right? Spiritual success comes in cans. I can handle this. I can do this. I can deal with this. Right? The enemy throws out the exact opposite through fear. What? Well, you can't. The enemy's been telling you, you can't handle it. You can't do this on your own. You'll never make it. Right? You made too many mistakes. You're not, you know what I'm saying? Past failures come back to haunt you when they say, I can't. Here's your new model for life. Take from Paul. I can do, I can do all things. How can I do them? Through Christ who gives me this strength. Now he's feeding off of what Jesus said in John chapter 15, which said, without me, you can do nothing. So the exact opposite is true. Without Christ, I can't handle nothing. But with Christ, I can handle everything. Notice I've started transitioning the word there, which I'm going to give you in just a minute, right? 
It depends on where your resources lie. Do they rely on yourself or in your Savior? Corey Tenenboom, a lady, survived Nazi concentration camp. She said, you'll never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you got. There's a lot of truth in that. Paul's saying, that's enough. I'm content. I'm ready to go. Not that Jesus is an important part of his life, but Jesus is his life. The last few people that gave testimonies, they, they said, you know, uh, I was always a believer. I believed here. I, be, I believed there. And that's good. That starts it. That's, that's, some, that's some seed getting planted, right? But Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your life. Jesus wants to be your life. And if Jesus hadn't become your life, you ain't got the relationship that he wants to have with you yet. Which means you're missing out on a lot of the blessings that he wants to have with you. So, so here, here, here now that you've been serenaded with, with what is right as I transition that word, here's where I want you to go. And I know some of you got mad at me a couple weeks ago because you told me so. When I told you a truth that it is not true that God will not put on you more than you can handle. I don't care if you like what is true, right? But it's true. And if you didn't like that, you're really not going to like this. Just, that's just fair warning. Like I like to be a guy who's up, up front and honest about what's coming, right? Because here's the bad news. God never promised you that you can do anything. And all God's church people said, holy cow, what? <laughs> Pastor, are you crazy? Well, maybe. But I'm not stupid because I studied this week. Right? <laughs> I'm not going to take away the crazy part, but, but you know what I'm saying, right? Well, Pastor, I've always heard preachers preach and, and just tell me that like, this verse means I can, I can do anything. Well, I can't help that what you've always believed has always been wrong. And I can't help whatever preacher told you that has been wrong. Believe it or not, preachers can be wrong. Myself included sometimes, right? And now, now prove it even deeper, right? Now, God, now take this. Make sure you write it down right because I know some of you are note-taking. I want you to mix it up. God can do anything. You can't do anything. You know the difference, right? You can't beat Tiger Woods in a golf game. Can't do it. Right? You can't outrun Usain Bolt. Ain't going to happen. Even as now he's a little bit older, right? You can't do a 360 slam dunk. Right? You can't do it. You can't hit a 103-mile fastball. I'll never forget watching Evander Holyfield fight Tyson for the first time and Having that wrong truth preached to me for so long, he come out, I don't know if you guys remember, he come out with Philippians 4.13 all over the back of his robe. I'm like, yeah, he's going to beat Tyson. It's going to be awesome. And he did. It was great, right? I was like, Philippians 4.13, you can smash the face of anybody in through Christ who strengthens you. He wore that same robe when he fought Lennox Lewis. He went home early that night. <laughs> with the same verse on his robe. So it don't work, Right? You understand what I'm saying? Like it, it, ain't, it, ain't, it, ain't for, it ain't for that is what I need to be saying. Yes, God can do all things. And, and understand me this, because I know some of you are going to argue with me on the porch about this, right? Yes, if God wanted to throw his power into you where you could block LeBron James' slam dunk to bring him glory, then yes, you could do it. But I don't think that's going to be the case if we're honest with one another. Okay? I don't think that's, I don't think that's going to happen. Philippians 4.13 does not promise that you can do all things. Matter of fact, the verse that we use all the time, it doesn't even talk about ability or faith or anything. Like, oh, oh, hold on. <laughs> what do you mean? It, it ain't about that. Now, you might get upset about that and you might think I've stolen something from you, but I hadn't stolen nothing that you didn't have. You didn't have a promise about being able to do anything. You made up a promise. And just because you changed the Lord's word and grabbed a little piece of it and made a magical bullet out of it, don't make it truth. You say, well, pastor, how do you know for sure what it is? Context. 
Write it. Write this down. If you write nothing else down, write this down for your future Bible studies. Whether you, if you ever want to disprove me, write this down because this will be how you do it. Context is king. Mm-hmm. Write it down. Seriously. I'll give you the ammunition to come at me with it. Right? Context is king. Because if you get into the context of what a verse is saying, you'll figure out what it means. And then you can get some deep meaning out of it, right? So get away from your magic bullet. And I'm going to reread it one more time, what Paxson read to us, in the context. I rejoice, and yes, I am closing in just a minute. I am rejoicing greatly in the Lord. I thought about doing a whole other sermon, just to be honest with you guys. But I know you guys might want lunch. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I know the secret of being content in and every situation, whether well-fed or whether hungry, whether living or in plenty or in want. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, anywhere in there, now that we're in context... Is Paul talking about contentment and the ability to do more, to get more, to be more, to be stronger? Hmm? Is he saying I can accomplish more in Christ? Is he saying I can be more victorious in Christ? He's saying I can pursue more in No! When I read it and I get to the actual translation, Paul is saying I can handle. I can handle everything in Christ. Now let's go back to my, and I do love Evander Holyfield, so I don't mean to talk no trash on him now. Straight up. Anybody can get their ear bit off by a guy and still go back and box. He's the man, right? So and some of y'all are like, what is he talking about? Go back and watch it. It was a long fight, right? A long time ago. Now, anyway, <laughs> what, this, what this means now is that you don't need that verse going into the battle. You need that verse when you get gut punched. Right? Because it's not saying you can go in there and fight anybody. It's saying if the situation don't work out, you can handle it. Through Christ. You understand the difference now? Big difference, guys. I watch people in the weight room sometimes. They'll, they'll throw this verse out there. I can do, oh, they'll, they'll paint it on their eyelids and, and get ready to roll. And I watch them get crushed. Because that ain't what it's about. A whole different kind of strength. He's not saying strength is in your muscles. He's saying, I, I'm going to give you the ability to handle anything. I think I need that more than I need strength, to be honest with you. You know what I'm saying? I need the ability to handle anything life throws at me, the ups and the downs, more than I need the strength of being victorious in some stupid physical thing. Right? He's saying, I can do hungry and I can do full. I can do, I can fall and, or I can stand up. I can do free or I can do in prison. I, I can do, I can do, I can do it all. I can be content in any circumstance. That's Paul's mindset. That's his, his focus, his desire to be obedient to Christ. Let me tell you how. I'm going to go back and read chapter one. I got to tell you how he does this, right? He's even saying, by the way, in case you didn't get it while he's talking to the church, he said, I can do lonely, but I prefer to do friends, right? I I can do naked, but I prefer to do well clothed, right? I I can do it. I can do it. And then you got to ask how. Here's how. Go back to chapter one, verse 21 through 26. I lied. It wasn't our last verse. Big surprise. First time ever. I know. Right? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For I am to go on living in the body. This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? What what I do not know, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. You know what Paul's saying here? 
He's saying flat out, it's better that I die and don't have to deal with none of this mess no more. But also know through the sacrifice, you guys need me for a little bit longer. So he's saying, I'm willing to go through what I probably don't want to go through. Because it's better for you guys, right? I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for the progress and the joy, that joy of being together in the faith. So that the, through my being, with you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ will abound on account of me. Paul's not talking about being victorious over prison. He's not talking about being victorious over a government, over loneliness, or over fear, guys. He didn't know if he's going to be victorious. He didn't know if he's going to die. He's saying, I'm going to be content in whichever way it goes. I'm going to be okay in however it works out. Can you say that? That's the goal. Can you say it? Can you say, I'm going to be content if I'm in prison. I'm going to be content if I'm lonely. I'm going to be content if I'm naked. I'm going to be content if I'm hungry. Some of y'all right now is mad because we went five minutes over and you're thinking you're going, you're going to starve to death because you didn't get lunch at the time. You thought you should deserve to get it. Huh? Some people don't get lunch at all today, I hate to tell you. Right? Can you be content in any circumstance? Paul could. His mindset, his focus, his desire is Christ. It's the test, man. How will you respond when your ambitions, your disappointment reveal stuff to you? Do you quit? Or do you realize God's got something bigger and better for you if you would just take a chance and say yes? And be okay with if it didn't work out. That amazes me. Could you imagine like, by the way, for, for one minute here, Paul, well, for one minute, for years here, Paul did say this and actually said, this is the only church that's helping me out. Could you imagine fundraising for Honduras, fundraising from Africa, fundraising from Puerto Rico, and only one church at all of them you ever visited tell you, well, we'll be on board. And all the rest of them telling you no. I was saying, you guys are the only ones, but I'm still content. Right? I ain't got to pass off and play it again like the Lord's going to take care of it. I know he's going to figure out a way for it to happen. Here's some advice for you. Keep your happiness out of the reach of your enemies. That's a quote by Jonathan Edwards. Keep your happiness out of reach of your enemies. That means don't even give them a chance to grab it. Don't, don't, don't even put it where it's in a situation that it can be changed, right? Your contentment, as a matter of fact, let me change it this way. Your discontentment, your fear, your jealousy, your worry, your doubt, all those emotions we've been talking about through this book, they're, they're like an alarm system. They're, they're, the smoke and the, they're the smoke of the fire. We'll call it that way. They're letting you, what does smoke let you know? Something's burning. Something's burning. It also lets you know where it's burning at. You follow that smoke, you can, you can find it, right? So, so what Paul is saying here is that this is the, the smoke of the fire. Let's figure out if there's some smoke because something's burning. And then let's go figure out where it's burning at so we can address it. Get it changed. Maybe, maybe, maybe promote it in a different way, right? Can you say as Paul that I can dream of whatever your dream is? I don't know what your dream is. But, but can you say, maybe you already had your dream and it didn't come true. Or you thought you had your dream. Right? Can you say that if God doesn't give me that, I'm still going to be satisfied? I'm still going to be hungry for more, yet I'm going to be satisfied with less. That's crazy to me, right? I love that. It's good to be hungry for more, yet you better be okay to be satisfied with less. The things I'm ambitious about in His kingdom, man. I find satisfaction in Christ. I thought it was funny. I didn't realize it was the invitation when Crystal was telling me just, just songs for today. And she says, she said the phrase, how can it be? And that's the, that's the title of the, of the last song, right? And she says this the same time I'm reading over this thing on contentment. I'm like, how, how can I be content through Christ? 
How can I learn to handle every situation? Through Christ. How can I be strong enough to deal with disappointments? Through Christ. Huh? You, you want to start using Philippians 4.13 the right way? Apply it when, when your head's hanging low and the wind's been knocked out of you. Apply it when tears is rolling down your cheeks and you didn't think you got nothing else to stand for. Because what Paul is saying is, yeah, I can handle it all because not only am I living for Christ, but Christ is living through me. Can you say that? You realize that? Paul is saying Christ is living his life through me on earth. That's what you, you're a vessel. You're a vessel. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your truth, Lord God. If there's been areas of your word where we've interpreted, handled, or used it in a, in a wrong way, Lord God. Go ahead and get us right this morning and get us to change it, Lord God. God, get our viewpoint on board with your word and nothing else. God, help us, Lord God, to look at this, this situation like Paul looks at it, Lord God. Whatever this situation is for each of us. God, help us, help us see the smoke and the fire, Lord God, of areas that might be burning, Lord God, because we've been doing them and handling them wrong. God, help us to address our emotions, our feelings. Help us, Lord God, to cling to your promises and your word. Help us, Lord God, to be fully satisfied with you. To handle every situation, both good and bad, with you. And Lord God, help us to stay ambitious in the right way. With godly ambitions, Lord God. With things that you want for us. In your great name we pray. Amen. Amen.